Hey, Dirty Benches, this is JD. This is part two on our discussion of the documentary Stolen Youth. We hope you enjoy it. All right, so we have Raven on with us. Hello, Raven. Hi. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It's like a celebrity interview. This is so cool. I love this. It's pretty exciting. Um. I actually uh, thought not anything I ever want to be. I know, for, right? No, no, no. I definitely <laughs> agree with that. Um, when I reached out to you, it was like a shot in the dark uh, because, you know, we've done reviews on a couple other documentaries and things that we've watched and reached out to um, the people that were involved in those situations and usually get crickets. So I thought this was going to be another cricket scenario, but then you actually responded back. And then, of course, we kept going back and forth on Facebook. But uh, we really appreciate you taking the time out to uh, do the interview with us and discuss the documentary on on Hulu. So, Well, there's like a lot of discourse happening around uh, the documentary and just the story itself. And I just, as someone online, like, have just been seeing a lot of things that I'm like, oh, it's not exactly how it was. Or, like, you know, things mm-hmm. get kind of lost in translation. So the opportunity to kind of more clearly um, express what I know to be true and how I feel about it is is welcome. So I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Um, and speaking to, you know, what what you're talking about with respect to when these documentaries come out, Obviously, we're all sitting on the couch and just watching and don't typically have a lot of insight into these situations, you know, our personal experience. So we really can't understand or even begin to grasp what happened to the people involved. So then you see a lot of like ridiculous statements out there on social media, like, you know, why didn't they just leave or victim I, shaming. Yeah, the victim shaming, which mm-hmm. we're very mm-hmm. much against on this right. podcast. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, uh we're very we want to educate our listeners about course of control because there's been several documentaries now that have come out and we've discussed. Um and I think that's important because I don't think people realize like how fragile um, the mind is and how easily manipulated it can be, you know, it, in the right setting, so to speak. So that's kind yeah, of where we come by the right person. Yes. Who, like obviously excels in that kind of shitty behavior. Correct. Um, that's sort of like a masterful strategy that they have going on, which seems to be what what Larry was. So yeah. Um, so first, what I want to do is actually give you some like major kudos because, uh, it was difficult to watch this documentary. Uh, I had already shared with Patty that I had to take breaks between each episode because it mentally and emotionally affected me. So I would have to walk away from it and go do other stuff, maybe take a couple days off and then come back and watch the next episode. Um, And then, you know, just to see, like, Larry's behavior and the effect it had on uh, your friends um, and also on you as well, because you were involved in the whole situation, um, was just, it was kind of heartbreaking, basically, is probably the right way to say it. Disturbing. Very disturbing. Um, But I do think it took a lot of courage on your part to say that you didn't think 
what was happening was right. And also to point that out to your friends, you know, even when you were getting pushed back. So I, I really wanted to share that with you, like straight out of the gate as we're moving into the interview. Thank you. That's really kind of you to say. Yeah, no problem. Patty, do you have and anything more, to add to that? I mean, just more people need to do that. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people just sit mm-hmm. on the sidelines and they might feel like, oh, this is weird or like something's off, but they're just like, well, they're my friends. So, you know. Well, yeah. there was a little bit of that. I mean, the they they edited a lot of what I said, obviously. It was right. a really long interview. Um, mm-hmm. But what I shared there, and I'll say again, um, is, you know, for the first little bit, I was kind of like, they're my friends. I'm not the biggest fan of this guy, but like, who am I to judge? But as he started, you know, kind of centering himself, I would, I went from like, um, you know, not, not fully against him and not fully into it to being more like, oh, this is kind of annoying. Like, I don't really like that, you know, he's taking my friend's attention or that suddenly, you know, we're incorporating this weird old man into our social plans. Mm-hmm, and yeah. it actually took a while for me to be like, red alert, red alert, you guys, something's really wrong. And by that time, like you said, it was, he had such a strong hold of them that it caused a lot of kickback. And um, I did feel like I was doing the wrong thing because I couldn't tell, I felt like it was like my own selfish reasons a little bit. Like I, cause I still was thinking like, I just don't like him. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it wasn't until, um, you know, a couple of years had passed that I really realized like, oh my God, they're still living with him. And so it, it's, I think harder to see in the documentary that it was a really slow burn. It wasn't like, I was just like, oh, this guy's clearly a master manipulator. He's clearly evil. It mm-hmm. was like a slow thing where I just like just started to go from like, he's weird to I'm annoyed to sums off mm-hmm. yeah something's really wrong yeah and i and we've talked about this too like on previous episodes how um it's human nature for us to rationalize away some of the negative or red flags that we see you know because mm-hmm. and and too like with respect to course of control it's very subtle and based off of what I saw, it looked like he was doing a lot of like love bombing and mm-hmm. kind of being nurturing at the beginning, which probably really created um, those intimate relationships with the various people that were involved. So yeah, I think, and it- I think that's why I was uncomfortable too, is because I was like, I didn't want to be on the receiving end of that kind of affection and that kind of um, like love bombing exactly that's the real term for it but it it was something that for me like made me feel weird and I didn't like that and so that's why I couldn't really be like to my friends like there's something wrong with this because all he was doing was being nice like mm-hmm. it's kind of hard for people I think me and Dan were just talking about this it's hard for people to not look at it in retrospect but like if you look at it just from the beginning there's there wasn't anything to be upset about rationally Mm -hmm. Mm because everything he was doing was either helpful or just him being like a nice guy so 
it, it, if you know what's going to come later, then it's easy to be like, oh, that was love bombing. Oh, it's the, like, that was creepy of him. But mm-hmm. if you're in the situation a day in, a week in, you don't, you, you, there's no reason your mind would go there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Right, and he was also just like a master at doing this, obviously. Yeah. Like, he knew who mm-hmm. to pick as a victim. He knew who he could basically turn into his little soldier. Mm-hmm. It's those types of people are really insidious and scary, in my opinion. Yeah, I um, I mean, from my vantage point, I think he purposely picked Isabel or Izzy um, as the first one to kind of turn because it sounded to mm-hmm. me like she was probably the most vulnerable amongst the group. Um, and I think he zeroed in on that. Um, and then, of course, well, it- he had a he had information on her already too because he tell that was Talia's best friend yes so yeah he had the most information on her and the most Mm -hmm. backstory yeah the most intel so Mm -hmm. um I think that and you know too he wasn't um sorry I kind of lost my train of thought there like it he unfortunately for me like I've actually met someone like him before mm-hmm. before I went off to college and I learned in that relationship um no one's ever like no adult is ever that going out of their way kind giving unless they're wanting something mm-hmm. in return unless mm-hmm. they're like building up to what was in my case kind of like a blackmailing situation um so I was wary of it okay but then you think that like, oh, I'm being paranoid because I'm bringing my past into this. And like, it's not fair of me to project this onto this completely different person. Mm-hmm. But that's, and he, he did try to, sorry, I didn't mean to go so off topic. But no, did. you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. Um, <laughs> he did uh, try to target um, Isabella first. And then I think he kind of did the same thing that he would do like in his, like he kind of has like this strategy, right? Of like using people to like jump to the next person. So mm-hmm. it's like, he's like a, like a spider in a web. Like he gets to Isabella and then he gets to Santos and then he, you know, spreads out. Like once he gains one person's trust, he like leapfrogs to another mm-hmm. person. Yep. Yeah. Cause it's basically convincing the others like, uh yeah, and then see how I help them. Yes, because you could kind of hear how they saw a change in Isabella, so they felt like, oh, he is helping her. And so then when they started talking to him individually, you know, that kind of built a little bit of trust that um mm-hmm. or validation, you know, that that maybe he could be helpful in that way, I think. So um I mean it was it was strategy that he was really working totally. out. Um and so, uh, yeah, it was it was toxic, very bad. Um, so, do you want to ask? Them? Yeah, very bad's a good way to put it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, what what was your biggest like red flag initially, or do you even remember? Um, well, like I said, I just thought it was weird that he wanted to hang out with us. Um, that I just, is weird. I'm it's sorry. kind of like when like uh, someone you know who comes back you know on winter break as a college student and wants to hang out with high school girls it's like why don't you have your own friends like why don't you have your own people who are your peers that you want to spend time with Mm -hmm. and just 
um, like thinking about my own parents, like my parents love me and everything, but there wouldn't be a situation where they were that interested in what my friends had to say or what my friends were doing. They just, because they have their, you know, teenagers aren't that interesting to full grown adults who have their own lives. Right, and, and your parents probably have like healthy boundaries where he did not clearly. Yeah. Right. And I just couldn't imagine, like, I just, I, I, the weirdest thing for me was like, why is he asking everyone so many questions? Like, why is he so interested in like, even not just our personal lives, but like our ideas on philosophy and like wanting to know what we thought about the universe. It just seemed really weird because most adults who are normal are kind of like, you kids talk, like I'm interested <laughs> like to know how your grades are, but then like, I don't really need to know your theories. Cause like, I, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it was just, it was like, he was like kind of trying to pump up our egos and make it seem like, I think you're really smart. I, you know what I mean? And it, yeah. just, it seemed fake Total to me. Manipulation. It just didn't make any yeah. sense. Yeah. That's part of I that love bombing. There's no reason a 50 year old man cares truly about what a 19 year old thinks about this or that. Mm-hmm. Like you should have enough life experience and your own circles of people to have conversations with and I just didn't know any adults even professors who are like you know having these theological long drawn out boring conversations <laughs> like this with teenagers it just doesn't make sense right I've never had those conversations with my professors outside of class <laughs> right and if I did Unless I would have thought it was weird to do it. <laughs> yeah. right you have to literally pay grown people to have those conversations <laughs> with true. people who are young. So I just don't understand. So I thought that was weird. That was my first. And then also how Talia was with him was weird. And so they'd been estranged for a long time. But immediately when he came in, she's sitting on his lap. He's rubbing mm. her shoulders, rubbing her feet, touching her hair. And again, I love my dad, but there would be no way in hell you'd catch me sitting on his lap. Yeah. yeah. As a as a sophomore in college. Just I that would never happen. It would never cross my mind. How much did and she tell you even, about him before he showed up at at your place? Uh, well, this is the thing, and I I'm gonna about Talia, her and I were not friends. There's like a misconception that like Talia was like the center of our friend group and mm-hmm. we all would do what Talia wanted. Uh-huh. That's not really how it was. Um, I made friends with the boys who were in the dorm the first year. So that was Max, Gabe, Dan, Santos. I made friends with them like the first day of school. Okay. And then Claudia joined that group a little while later. And that was kind of the core. And truly the very like best, best friends was me, Max, Dan, and Claudia. We were like, we call ourselves the animal. We are like a little four, four like of friends. Um, <laughs> it's very like silly, goofy college stuff, but we're uh-huh. really, really close. Like we would go to each other's houses for spring and summer break. We would often have big sleepovers, study all nights. And, you know, Santos and Gabe lived there and they were in and out. But Talia was only in, in the group because that was Santos's girlfriend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even then we were kind of like, I guess Talia can come because she had weird vibes. She had a different, she just seemed a lot less like relaxed and a lot less um, friendly. Like she had like a surface friendliness, but it wasn't like, oh, this is someone I feel really open with. Like this is someone I feel relaxed with and we can just have a 
nice, pleasant conversation or like socialize together. It And part of that was because she almost always was looking for an end to go on rants, either about things she felt really strongly about, about policies, political stuff, or, and that would always lead to, of course, her dad. Mm-hmm. And it was annoying because, you know, you're getting to know people at college. And I had kind of my own past of traumas and things that, you know, you have a few beers, you start talking about. And she almost always interrupted me to talk about how much harder her life was. Okay. And that rubbed me wrong. Yeah. It rubbed me wrong from the very beginning. You think you have it bad? Listen to this. (laughs) Right. And I don't really like that kind of, um, you know, like uh, trauma Olympics. Trauma Olympics. I've never heard anybody (laughs) say it like that. Okay. Right. I hear you though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like, I'm not trying to like show off about this sad thing that happened. It's just like, I'm talking to my friends and getting to know them. And then she'd be like, well, when I was this old, my dad was arrested and I watched him get his arm broke and the SWAT team came in and dragged him out. And, and we're all like, oh, okay. And she's like, and then I, my mom was this and she was molesting us and I had to go live in a homeless shelter. And it would mm-hmm. just go on and on. Oh Lord. And then whoever got like stuck talking to her, she would just kind of keep talking about her dad and it wasn't like that fun (laughs) yeah I wonder if a lot of that though just based off of like what we've seen um with what happened uh if that was also more of Larry's manipulation as she was growing up and I had your percent he was grooming her from the time she was a newborn baby yeah and I don't blame her for that Yeah, I talked to Patty a little bit about this. I really feel like, and, you know, we don't know all of her past, uh, but, you know, he kidnapped her. Oh, he actually is really horrible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he kidnapped her at one point, and then, you know, like, I don't know what sort of conversations Larry was having when he was calling back home to talk to her, you know, so, like, I can only imagine what sort of information or manipulation he was doing to her if he was able to communicate. Yeah, he was trying, from what I understand, like I wasn't there, but from what I understand, he was trying to convince or had convinced both, or he had convinced Talia and was trying to convince Talia's younger sister, Ava, that their mom was abusive, Mm. physically and sexually abusive. When I believe, I don't have proof of this, but more than likely it was him who was. Mm -hmm. And when they were investigating it, the police officer asked the little girl, like, does mommy do these things to you? And she said, that's what daddy told me to say. Okay. Uh-huh. I'm not yeah. surprised so by that he was, Yeah. Yeah. And Ava, because I, for one reason or another, was young enough where she didn't, like, get it. But Talia believed it so wholeheartedly that when he was convicted, she chose to go, uh, she chose to emancipate herself, I believe, and live in a homeless shelter rather than go home to her mother. She so sincerely believed that her mom oh, wow. so she was, was probably, abusive in these ways. She was probably like um, patient zero, really, in yeah. all this. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's really why I feel sensitive talking about her now, because yeah. we, I I can't say like, oh, I was really kind to her and I was a great friend to her and I'm so sad. I We didn't have a great relationship, but it was only after when I learned of this stuff that I was like, oh, now I understand why she was like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's. But of course, then I have to have some forgiveness for myself because I, too, was just a kid 
with yeah, yeah. in that scenario. So oh yeah, so you all were kids. All of you guys were. All of you were kids. That's what's so mm-hmm. disturbing about this is like, um, you know, and obviously science. I'm going to mention the word science. Um, has demonstrated. <laughs> You know, that it takes a little while for the brain to fully develop and stuff into adulthood. So, um, and uh, in our previous conversations about the documentary, I I have repeatedly called all of you kids because that's how I looked at it when I was watching. I mean, it was it's we kids going to college. Kids, yeah, we do. <laughs> We're not I going mean, to see their age. Picture, those are babies. <laughs> I know. Yes. 100%. You all were definitely like just kids, you know, probably first time leaving your homes from your parents, like out in the world trying to establish mm-hmm. yourself. Um, you know, so that to me, like the whole situation, very worrying and concerning because I'm like, you know, you're homeschooled. <laughs> we have, <laughs> we both have kids, me and Patty. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, so I'm just curious, like, did you report any of this stuff when you really started getting the red flags and it was like something is really seriously wrong here? Did you ever go to anybody at the college to report what, you know, what you were feeling or what you were concerned well, about? Well, what what's happening, first of all, was it's kind of like, a like I said, it was a really slow progression. So it's hard for me to like pinpoint stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and also, it was a while ago. But here's what I remember: um, <laughs> we when <fail> you. <laughs> Claudia really started like listening to him in a way that I felt was inappropriate, mm-hmm. I was talking a lot on campus to, um, like my peers. Okay. In a way that was probably not the most responsible, but just because I was try- kind of trying to gauge, like, does anyone else think this is as weird as right. I do? Mm-hmm. And Claudia took that as me being like a two-faced friend and talking behind her back. And we got in a big blowout fight because of that. Okay. Um, so then after that, after she had kind of like, she, also Claudia was not the kind of person who would like, at least not that I had seen in the two years I'd known her, like to just like yell at you and like curse you out and be like that defensive. She was more, she just wasn't, she just didn't have that kind of personality. So that kind of freaked me out. And that's when I kind of was like, okay, I don't like something. I don't up. need yeah. any more evidence <laughs> yeah. to like, tell me that this is wrong and weird. Mm-hmm. So I did go to at Sarah Lawrence. We don't, we have Dawn, which oh. is kind of like, it's the professor of the first class that you start in. Okay. And they stay your dawn for all four years. And they're like supposed to be your like surrogate parent on campus. Like you're supposed to be able to go to them for anything. Um, and we had to meet with our dons, I believe, every two weeks. So I had told him probably from the time that Larry moved in what was going on every two weeks. Okay um just like oh my friends are fighting because of this like because we were encouraged to talk about our social lives and get support so I was talking to him but again it didn't it probably didn't seem like anything was that weird like oh this guy Larry is now here all the time and he made us dinner and Larry had a movie night and like oh well Connie is mad at me because I said that this is about Larry and I think it probably came off as more sounding like social issues and social dynamics okay then 
But also, like, I don't think I said in so many words, I think this guy is a predator and he's doing this. It sounded probably more like I'm having fights with my friend and also Larry's here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think also in retrospect, that should have raised alarm bells for my Don just on his own. Like he should have been able to put context clues together. Because uh, um, I feel like now if a teenager was telling me these things, yeah, I would be like something's wrong there's a something there right, right. maybe i should look uh, into this a little bit more yeah mm-hmm. I, did you ever um, mention like that larry was a full-grown man or anything like, like that yes Don? yes i wasn't just like listing larry like okay. oh and our other friend larry i was saying <laughs> and our weird friend larry <laughs> he won't leave he just showed up uh yeah so that's that's interesting to me because that is and problematic then, in addition, I was telling, I was, I got a really weird feeling about Larry about halfway through the school year after that fight. And that's when I, well, also Larry tried, tried it on me. And I'll tell you that story later. But after that, I was like, something's really off with this guy. Um, and I called both my parents to tell them. And they're like, there's a full grown man living in the dorm. And both my parents are attorneys. and They're all over it. They, my mom called the school. Okay. My dad did a background check on Larry. Okay. And he said, this guy has ties to the mafia, oh to these gosh. nightclubs with money problems. He's got a record that's like a mile long. He's like, I don't see anything about these. Because I had said he's like some military guy. He's supposed to be working for Giuliani. He's supposed to have this, this, this. He's like, I don't see any of that. But I see a lot of bad, bad red things. <laughs> and bad stuff. He said, just he just said, stay away from him. Like, okay. just don't talk to him anymore. Stay away from him. Um, my mom called the school and complained okay. and then that was my strategy was just stay but away. then of course after my parents are both like that's really bad stay away from him and then I tell my friends this is really bad stay away and then that's you know where the drama kind of heated up okay I mean did the did Sarah Lawrence like respond or do anything or um, was it silent mm, no not that I know and I did um, tell um, my senior year, I had, because of a lot of this, what had gone down, I was feeling very like I was paranoid because mm-hmm. I still believed, and even more so because I knew they were still living with him. And I had seen all these crazy changes. They, you know, changed how they dressed, Dan shaved his head, like, you know. But yeah. again, I didn't have proof. I didn't have any insight. I just had a really bad feeling. And I actually got my this on-campus therapist said that I probably had borderline personality disorder and I was just handling the rejection really poorly. Oh no. Oh my God. Like, I was having helpful. like these paranoid delusions. And like, you're like, see, that, <laughs> now oh you're totally God. vindicated. That's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Cause what's but, sad I is mean, that's all going on and like you're reporting it and then your parents have called. Uh, and I don't know if anybody else outside of you had reported to, you know, any of the staff. Well, or I know that the RAs knew about it because I'm friends with a girl who was an RA at the time. And she said all the RAs knew about it and talked about it and hadn't received any instruction from the people who work out the administration to do anything. Ugh, okay. That's- very frightening. Yes, I was going to say it's extremely, extremely worrying. <laughs> like My kids certain. are done with school, so looks like it's all you, baby. 
Online school is a viable option is all I'm saying. Uh, I feel like. Well, you know what sucks is I really had outside of this, I really had a great college experience. No, that's like, yeah. classes were amazing. I loved the education I received at Sarah Lawrence. It actually is such a, it's really, I really have to compartmentalize that time in my life because at the same time, I was the most interested I'd ever been in my education. I was the most devoted to my areas of study. I was really, and you know, to have this like weird dark cloud tainting, it was just such a shitty real reality for me at the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But look how many people you've opened their eyes. Yeah. Like I never, whenever I watch any of these, I'm just like blown away that this shit's even happening. Like it's so crazy to me. Yeah, and I don't... Well, I think that it happens in, like, a lot of different contexts. Right. Like, coercive control. I feel like any time there's, like, one person, like, I feel like you can say, like, you know, it happens, you know, on sports teams, in clubs, in school cliques, in work environments, anywhere where there's, like, one person who has power over a group, there's the danger of the dynamics going really toxic. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, like, my biggest takeaway from the whole experience is that you just have to be like aware of those kinds of conditions so you don't find yourself unknowingly um, being put in a dangerous situation yeah 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 and uh you know part of us or one of the reasons why we do these particular episodes on these documentaries is not necessarily to torture ourselves because they're very dark and it's like hard to absorb that um you know and see like what's going on out there but it's also to educate the listeners because i i really feel like people don't understand to your point you know somebody gets in a position of power somehow and then um before they know it you know they're being manipulated and controlled some you know to a degree where they're like how do i get out of this and we all yeah. think it can't happen to us but until it does until it does and then you know we either I don't mean, there's see degrees, it right yes there's not it's not always so extreme mm-hmm. as this like there's controlling boyfriends who you know do weird shit like this mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know girlfriends too well, I yeah think, i think that's like a big reason i do think the conversation is important is i think that it's really and uh me and dan are still really good friends and talk about it a lot um, okay that's good and a, a good point that he's made to me that I think is really important to share is um, it's really normalized and acceptable now to talk about um, domestic abuse and, you know, parental abuse and neglect. And those are like kind of out there as like issues, but I think coercive control and coercive group control, what we like now call cults, but uh, even like smaller versions of that are another really effective and really prominent way that people are getting abused and it's just not Mm -hmm. talked about as much and it's the warning signs aren't as clear right yeah and it's interesting your friends are doing it too it's not just you alone in it it's you and other people yes so yeah it's it's hard to notice that it's going wrong yeah and i kind of feel too like using the word cult which uh we had brought up and talking about this i think kind of almost separates it like from 
the general population, you know what I mean? Where you're mm-hmm. like, well, I would never be in a cult or that wouldn't happen to me. But in reality, like this was just happening on a college campus, you know, that right. eventually moved off the campus and into an apartment. But uh, it can happen anywhere at any time. Right. So, exactly. right. You hear cult and you think it's like a weird, like commune in yeah. the woods or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This was an apartment, though. Just yeah. yeah, an apartment. Was, <laughs> in the most populated city in America. In New York, yeah. Do you know anything about the apartment time? Like, what what were we talking about with the, the guy oh, that owned Chen? the apartment? Yeah, Chen, who owned mm. the apartment. Like, I know a little about it. Well, just wh- from talking he, it to seemed like on the documentary Dan that he knew all these kids were living there, but he just, like, was like, oh, well. I don't want to spread misinformation, okay. but from what I understand, uh, and again, I, I could be wrong about this, but as far as I understand, he also was involved in some of the mm-hmm. sexual stuff. and That's was what I getting. Thought. Yeah. Remember, what did was, I tell you? That's a red flag for me when I, I seen him. That. Yeah. I, I thought it was I, too problematic that he was there mm-hmm. for a period of time. I think he, I think Larry did what he does well, which is he got him looped in and got his hands dirty. And okay. then he didn't and really he know how to back out anything. because he's culpable. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yikes. Yeah. That's pretty much my feeling about him when they first introduced him. But again, him. I wasn't yeah. there. I. Right. We get it. Supposition. Um, yeah. It's, it's. It's hard because uh, I am friends with Dansta. I'm friends with Santos again. I'm a little bit in touch with Claudia. Uh, Poor Claudia. And, how is she doing? Um, You know, she's doing as best as she can. And yeah. she's just laying low and she's getting a lot of help and she has a lot of support. That's and good. she was kind enough to reach out to me. And we had one really good conversation before the documentary filmed it. She's texted me a few times, you know, to congratulate me on my daughter being born. And uh, I wished her a happy birthday. Oh, thank you. She's so, very cute, you by know, the way. It's, uh, it's nice to know. Thank you. It's nice to know that, like, we're still, like, we left on really bad terms. And, and I'm hopeful that we can. It. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's, I'm actually really glad but, to hear um, that. But they shared stuff with me. So, you know, it's like hard for me to know um, in my memory, like, how how do I know that? Like, someone told me this, someone told me that, yeah. but it's like, it's not my lived experience. Yeah. So it's kind of feels tricky to speak on it. Yeah. Especially when I'm like, never 100% sure, like, when and where that information came to me, because it's just been so much after right. the, yeah. in the last few years. It's especially after having such a long break between you know, graduation and living my life and then having things kind of stirred up again mm-hmm. in 2018, mm-hmm. I think it got started up again. Yeah. And also what's not in the documentary is I actually was like one of the main whistleblowers for that original article that came out. Yeah, I kind uh, of felt like the, that was, uh, they don't really directly say it, but that was kind of the feeling that I got but yeah, you were like, okay, we need well, to do something. Well, because I had been investigating it on my on my own with one of Claudia's friends. I won't say her name because okay. she doesn't want to. No, that's she fine. Doesn't want no, that. you're fine. Totally fine. Um, but one of Claudia's friends from high school was 
really working with her own dad to try to locate Claudia, get an address for a welfare check before the website came out, just because she had been MIA for so long. Mm -hmm. And together, her and I built this really, she had already started this spreadsheet. It was really intricate, had a ton of stuff on Larry, a whole timeline. But it was with her that I picked up that. And then we found the Twitters and we did a backlog of all these like live journal things that Talia had written. And then we found, you know, those uh, websites, unfortunately, the the ClaudiaJury.com, which yeah. is all the like, murder confessions. And then that linked us to all of these uh, escort pages. And, you know, all of that was something that was at the forefront of my mind. I had listened to a phone call that this friend had recorded of Dan. Uh, where he explained what he had seen and talked about Larry having cash and the limos and just a lot of illuminating stuff that I didn't know about. And I had all that just swimming around in my head for a while, like months. And I was, you know, kind of, you know, talking to Max, how can we, what can we do to help? How can we help? We had gone to the police. Um, And then an article or the uh, alumni from Sarah Lawrence said, have, do you know about this Larry Ray guy? And do you know that Claudia is poisoning people? And I said, I do know about Larry Ray, but I know more than, you know, and Claudia is actually not poisoning people. She's brainwashed. Mm -hmm. And that's when I got, and he put me in touch with Ezra who wrote the article. At the time I was still really afraid of Larry. Not afraid. Understandably. No, I mean that I was like, I don't want to get mixed up. I was like, I'll tell you what I know, but I don't want to get mixed up in it. So I told him everything. And a lot of that was what they knew, how they knew to put into the article. Mm -hmm. But I think Larry did figure out it was me because then the next time I checked the website, it said Raven Juarez Friedman, Dan's ex-girlfriend, liar, and had an email that I had written. Claudia like plastered across the front oh my gosh so you said that um Larry had tried to do this to you too but you didn't fall for it can you tell us about that um yeah if you're comfortable yeah 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 I am uh it's just I just he's so annoying as a person so it's like (laughs) weird to like relive the story because at the time, I wasn't scared. I just was so annoyed. Like, everything that everyone else liked about him, I just found so overbearing and just, you know, anyway, anybody who goes away to college, like, the last thing you want is, like, a dad, like, up in your business. Like, yeah. that's why mm-hmm. I went away to college. And I literally chose the <laughs> furthest college away from my home because I didn't want parents, like... <laughs> up in my business yeah like bumping into so, them somewhere in new york or something like uh <laughs> yeah. yeah like i could have went to u-dub if i wanted, like, <laughs> I wanted to be away no shade to u-dub it's lovely no, it's like U-Dub, hogwarts it's there my parents. yeah i get it yeah understand um <laughs> so i was like really excited for that independence piece you know yeah, yeah. so what had happened was, you know, me and Dan were dating. I didn't live in Sloanham 9, but I did live in Sloanham 9. Like, I slept there every night. I was there all the time. I basically went back to my dorm, like, if it was just more convenient because we were walking back from uh, our the 
cafeteria was closer to my apartment, but the gym and most of my classes were closer to Slonum. So I was there most nights. Okay. And uh, I was actually sick. I had the flu. And so Dan went off to class and I stayed home or in his room to work on homework and just stay in bed and write. And that's what I was doing when Larry knocked on the door and I thought he wanted Dan because at the time he was getting Dan to do like push-ups. He was at the beginning of getting Dan to do his weird work. Starting the exercise regimen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Dan's not here. Go away. Sorry. (laughs) And he was like, (laughs) nobody's home. I I know. I wanted to talk to you. And I was like, no, thanks. I'm sick. And he like opened the door anyway. And I'm like, you know, in a t-shirt and shorts, like, you know, I'm like not in a, I'm sick. I'm not in a position to like be seen. So I like cross my arms, like go to the door. I'm like, Hey, like, what is it? And he's like, Oh, I heard you weren't feeling well. Like I made you a caprese salad. I heard you love Italian food. And that's true. I was thinking about applying to the Italy program. I was like, yeah, um, I'm sick. So I like probably shouldn't be like around you. And also I'm not hungry. And so I like tried to close the door and he like stopped it with his hand. He's like the polite thing to do when someone makes you his meal, come down and at least try to have some and have a conversation. Oh my God. And I was like, like, again, very annoyed, more annoyed, more annoyed than anything. But I just thought, you know, I actually hadn't eaten that day. So I was like, (laughs) I'll go and scarf it down and then I'll come back to bed. So I went down and this is before I told my parents and they had told me to stay away from him. So uh-huh. I went down, I was sitting at the table eating a salad and the whole time he was just basically, I don't remember exactly word for word what he was saying, but I remember what I was thinking at the time. And I remember thinking he's trying to get me to say, I hate my parents. Like okay. he's trying to get me to say, I'm mad at my parents some information from you yeah right well he was like i know your parents i know he he knew my parents were divorced and he was like oh so like when's your parents get divorced and asking me about that and asking me like oh like oh so your dad lives in a different city than you so you don't get to see him like that's hard and like oh i bet you you wish this and i remember just like picking up on it pretty quickly and i actually didn't have the closest relationship with my parents i was kind i had a I don't want to get into it, but I had my own stuff going yeah, on. Yeah. yeah but I just does. remember my instinct. My instinct was just to lie. So I was like, my parents are my best friends and they're best friends <laughs> with each other. And they tell each other everything. And I tell them everything. We're still such a close family unit, even though they're divorced. Yeah. And that was not true. Um, but, and I was like, and my dad's my best friend. I call him every day. <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, I actually well, have I'm to get call away. Him right like, now. I, yeah, <laughs> we should exactly. put him on speaker. Then, <laughs> <laughs> it was really, and he was, you could tell he was like getting a little annoyed with me. And because it wasn't um, working. Right. Yeah, but he was still trying to be like friendly and stuff. And then he was like, well, I may have a job for your mom because, and also my mom doesn't need jobs. She was partner at a very fancy big law firm in downtown Seattle. Like, she's not like, you know needs gigs from yeah. him he's like i may have a job for your mom like you should like hook me up with her number because i may have a case for her oh and i'm God. like she's pretty busy being 
law partner doing all her actual important stuff. She doesn't um, do mafia she, cases, so yeah. You probably can't afford her either since you live here in a dorm. <laughs> On our couch. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. You but should have because, been like, remember that time you kidnapped your daughter? What was that all about? That's weird. Oh my god. <laughs> I didn't know about that yet, really. Oh. I only knew Callie. No, you story, couldn't but... say that anyway, but that would be funny. <laughs> it would have been I wish I would have known the real truth, but anyway, I uh to get him to kind of drop it I was like sure yeah you can call my mom her office is this look it up you can call her secretary and he was like okay and then he like dismissed me and that's when I went upstairs and called my dad and was like that was really weird and like I said my dad told me to not to continue to talk to him anymore Mm. so was it Um, soon after that that you got that he like purposely isolated you from the the rest of the group is that when he started quick buddying up to dan he was already buddying up to dan but i and also he was buddying up to max too he had bought max a bunch of uh expensive equipment and was like you're gonna help me with this project and you're going to record this video for me so I can prove that I'm innocent in this way. Mm. And shortly after that Caprese salad incident, like we had, there was like one of those dinner things and we, I went down to eat the dinner because Max and Dan and them were. And then he told me, I was like having my own side conversation with some of my friends while he was, Larry was like trying to have a conversation also at the table. And he told me that uh, I needed to learn to be respectful when someone's talking. And that's when I was like, oh, you've really pissed me off now because I didn't like being told what to do. And I did not like that he told me that I wasn't allowed to talk. And that's when I like got mad. And so with Max, I told him and Max was like, oh, Larry's harmless. He's just kind of weird, but he's harmless. And I said, Max, if you're going to be my friend anymore, you can't take any more stuff from Larry. You can't talk to Larry anymore. Like you have to choose. Okay. So you kind of gave an ultimatum. Yeah. Because I was scared because I was seeing what was going on. And I tried to do the same thing with Dan and Dan kind of brushed me off. I tried to do the same thing with Claudia and she got pissed. Max was the only one who was like, you're kind of being extra, but (laughs) he, you saved his life. He, he believed me enough to, to listen to me about that. And then, from there, Larry just kind of continually shit talked me and then eventually Max and we kind of just got distilled out of the inner circle. Okay. But me and Dan were still dating. I think the timeline gets kind of confusing for people, but me and Dan dated till the end of sophomore year. And then I stayed at his house for two weeks in New Jersey in that summer. And we were like dating in love. Like he had no, he gave me no uh, idea that there was problems. And then when I flew back to Seattle, he broke up with me over the phone that night. Mm -hmm. And I was, and I was in shock because he still had a lot of my shit. He had my TV. Like I was fully planning to like be back together with him when we reunited. Did Larry tell him to do that? Yeah. Yeah. He had that Starbucks conversation with Larry that day, I guess, or something. Um, And we remember it differently. And, you know, Dan's 
has a good sense of humor about it now. He's like, you're probably right. Like I was fully being brainwashed. So yeah. your memory is probably better than mine. I was just going to say he's uh, Larry probably did a good job of inserting a lot of memories. And now it's hard for him to like really distill what's what. Yeah. Figure yeah. out like exactly. what actually happened versus what Larry told him happened. So exactly. Yeah. And what's hard about that is too, he doesn't actually remember a lot of the good stuff before Larry at mm. school. Like a lot of our like friendship dividing times, I'll be like, remember this, remember that? And he's like, oh, like now that you say it, like someone I kind of do, but like not really. Mm. And it's just, that's really sad for me. I think that was like the hardest part of my grieving process is like all these memories that are like so fundamental to who I grew into and like just the things I really treasure the most are things that are like just lost now. Yeah. Because I, the negative clouded and pushed out well, anything that was like good. They got like overwritten. Yeah, kind of. basically. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, that's Well, sad. luckily he's going to be in prison forever now, right? <sighs> no parole. Yeah. Yeah. That's where he deserves to be. Years. Yeah, I mean, that guy's a total predator. If anyone deserves to be in prison, it's him. Yeah. I actually mm-hmm. don't say that about a lot of people, but I do believe we need to stay there <laughs> yeah. forever and never ever come out. But don't you? And I really hope that he's in some kind of like solitary situation. Yeah, I was just saying, also, like, I don't believe in. Is but he I don't like making a little army people. inside of prison? I mean, the yeah, guy is I really good. He at would get way too much satisfaction from that. Yeah. 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 He would get way too much satisfaction. I feel like he could be happy anywhere as long as he can play his little games. And I just hope that he's people. not allowed to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's also just such a dick. Like they all, everyone's like, oh, he's so charming. He's so this, but he was like an arrogant jerk. He was an asshole. Like I never, I never thought he was like this charming, super nice guy. He was, yeah, he was doing nice things, but with like a dickish attitude. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, like you're making a stake, sure, but you're like being sarcastic and like basically belittling everybody the whole time you're doing it. So mm-hmm. like, how nice are you? Not that nice. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, so having said all of this, because I'm still <laughs> like very worried, you know, like about, I mean, just anywhere really. Are you talking but... about college. Yes, okay. I'm talking about college. Back yes. to JD. Back to college. <laughs> uh, I mean, do you have any thoughts about ways that um, you know kids or students or the colleges themselves can address you know this sort of behavior or interactions that they're having with their students to be more proactive and prevent this from happening in the future? I mean, what are your thoughts about that? You know, it's kind of hard for me because to be truthful, I really like that Sarah Lawrence has that kind of more laissez-faire attitude about, you know, treating the students like adults Mm -hmm. and not having it. Like I wouldn't have, I don't like like I said, I don't want people up, especially when I was a younger teenager, I wouldn't have liked a situation where you have to sign in and sign out and have an RA like, oh, don't do this. You know what I mean? I just, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I did, I wouldn't have liked that. That's not, and that's the kind of, I think that's why a lot of students who go to Sarah Lords choose it to live on campus is because of that. I think that's a big draw. Um, and I think, unfortunately, like, 
there are just people in the world who are dangerous. Yes. Um, and I think that the best thing that we can do is just have conversations around coercive control and coercive group control and have the warning signs be more in the zeitgeist, like more of something that we are trained and comfortable talking about and noticing. Yeah. I do think the school is accountable though, because we had rules. There was a rule there. You should, you can't have a guest for more than three nights. You can't have um, anyone who's not registered as a guest on the, in your room at all. Those are the rules. So with those rules in place, if they were enforced, this wouldn't have happened. So Mm -hmm. somebody, somebody, it should be okay for them to have that type of model for the living situation if the rules are enforced. Yeah. It's not like it was a secret. You could see this man walking around. Security once came because he burned the stakes and the fire alarm went off and all the security people in a fire truck were there. So it's like they people had eyes on him. Okay. So it's just somebody wasn't, somebody just wasn't, when we had a cat in the dorm, the cat was out in two days. They were like, you're not allowed to have a cat. Cat was up, but you had a psychopath there, and the college was like, "He's all right." I don't know why. I still don't understand why the rule wasn't enforced. But the RAs knew; they knew about the cat. People saw him, Um, and I don't think it's the responsibility of the students to be like, "Something's really wrong," because that's not our job. Our job is to be students. Yeah, and we don't know like what Larry could have told some bullshit to anybody at sarah lawrence we don't know yeah yeah i think yeah my... well what my mom heard on the phone was parents have a right to visit their students their children and which definitely is true. and live with their <laughs> what mm-hmm. <laughs> that's yeah wow. yeah but not in that way and so something someone dropped the ball somewhere right. someone's yeah. not owning up to their mistakes there i think it should be safe for us to have that kind of dorm model is just you have to enforce the rules are there that mm-hmm. are around it mm-hmm. like nothing is safe without boundaries yep. and if there's one thing that larry does is he just crosses boundaries he walks right through them yeah yeah I... well he makes these fucking lunatic boundaries yeah You're basically like his mental slave mm-hmm. yeah his boundaries were his shifted, boundaries yeah, and him. they shifted yeah to whatever his goal for was control. or objective for that period of time or that mm-hmm. person so mm-hmm. um yeah i'm i'm just i feel like and it maybe it needs to be like some sort of course of control training for the staff like the professors or like in your case it does sound like that's probably a really good setup for the students to allow you all to flourish and really grow into being an adult and taking on those responsibilities um i just feel like to your point, there was a lot of people that knew something was going on and nobody did anything that they should have been doing to help mm-hmm. stop, you know, what was happening there. So um, I I guess I'm going to have to put a TED talk together <laughs> and <laughs> save the world. This. I don't know. But yeah, well, you know, actually, as like a reaction to this, I got really interested or was one facet but i got really interested in psychology and started focusing on um uh child psychology and studying i did a big uh we have what we call it the sarah lawrence we don't have like 
uh, finals, but we have conference projects. And that means you're basically dedicating the entire semester to studying one area and doing your research and writing a 40 to 50 page paper on that topic. Okay. And mine was on child sociopathy because I was like, I feel like I know a lot of sociopaths. Yeah. I've come across them. And like, how are they made? What's the deal? I read a book called The Sociopath Next Door, which says one in 25 people are a sociopath. That's Mm -hmm. 4% of the population. So it's not like that's like one in a million chance that you're going to meet one. You probably do know one. It's just they operate on a spectrum. Yeah. And that was one of the most helpful books that I've read in my life because it's actually helped me through a lot of situations. Like, no, you're not being paranoid. You're not being sensitive. These are like things that you can look out for just in your regular interactions with people. And I think it's helped me stay away from more potentially dangerous people. Right. Another good book I've already talked about on on this podcast is The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. That's a really good Mm. book. Yeah, you have mentioned Especially for women. Yeah. Yeah. Well, me and Dan talk about that, too, how he said, you know, sometimes he felt uneasy or he felt afraid, but he thought, oh, no, I'm just overthinking it. Everyone else is fine, Mm -hmm. so it must be fine. Yeah, he rationalized it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, you know, um, I think that one people always try to say, like, well, what's the difference between you and everyone else? And I don't actually think it's like a family thing or like a confidence thing or like a bullshit detector thing. I think that it's just that I wasn't as polite or as nice as my friends. My friends were the sweetest, kindest people you could ever find. And because of that, they're like, oh, we don't want to hurt his feelings. Let's sit and listen for 10 more minutes. Or I was like, this is boring and I hate him. And <laughs> He's I annoying and I'm leaving. <laughs> yes. And I think, you know, and that's also why it was hard for me to realize quick enough that something was wrong because I was like, oh, maybe I'm just being a bitch because like sometimes I can be, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with that. Sometimes you, it's a good thing. (laughs) Exactly. Are you like a tell it like it is person, Raven? I, I like to think I am, but I also am a preschool teacher and I work with young children and families well, I mean, and it's I feel not like absolute, I'm like, obviously yeah <laughs> like, little I, kid I you're I, bugging I, me <laughs> I go like I think I I'm like a really classic Gemini where there's like two sides to uh, me and, okay um interesting I but you know my mom's a real tell it like it is person and I think when my back's against the wall that's what comes out yeah okay I could, yeah, totally say because that. when we first started talking about this, JD said I would be the Raven in this group. Yeah, and unfortunately, so. I know I probably would have been Santos or one of the other friends one. or Dan. Yeah, I would have been nice, nice, and I would have been like, okay, well, I guess I'll go listen to what Larry has to say, you know. Or but whatever, you're really so. deep into psychology too, so I think you would have been like. uh wait a minute i think now i would be like that but i think at that age i i think i would have totally followed at that age wouldn't because you're taught like respect parents figures and right yeah you know don't be rude and you know well and i just think you don't have enough lived experience to really identify when something looks unhealthy right you know so um, and I think he was, you know, promising a lot of stuff that my friends really 
wanted. I think they looked at him and they saw this is a really good person who's a hero, who yeah. is someone I can aspire to be like, who um, is, I'm lucky that I get a chance to meet them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think, I think that that just goes that they, they see good in people and they're, I, I just can't say it. I, I really don't like the discourse online that my friends are stupid or willfully yeah. ignorant or unwillfully like ignorant. Either. Yeah. Yeah. We don't like that really, either. They were just kind, kind, sweet souls. And mm. they were just trying to um, take it, like, take advantage of an opportunity to grow mm-hmm. because that's what they came to, to school to do. Yeah. And, we're uh, not about the victim shaming anyway. No. Because you don't yeah, I can you tell. just don't know. You don't know if if it's gonna happen to you <laughs> yeah. in some way. You don't know. Exactly. And to be like, I would know you don't know. You yeah. don't and know. And it probably there. has happened to you in small ways that you exactly. haven't realized. Mm-hmm. You've probably been taken for a ride a lot of times and it just didn't have How such dare you? horrible what? consequences. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know I have. I've been fooled yeah, by other for people. Sure. I've, I've had I've had much less scary, dangerous people do worse things to me than Larry did just because it was harder to see or I was in a different time and, yep. you know, a different setting. And, and it's, it's just it comes down to just the randomness of the world and we're all just living in entropy. So. Yeah. yeah, for real. Yeah, 100 percent. So Dang. and I know you talked a little bit about this already, but. It sounds like uh-huh. you still have some relationships with some of the survivors and stuff. So mm-hmm. that's good. I do. Yeah. Me and Dan actually, we're so close now. We talk all the time. Um, he's just, he's come up and visited. He's met my daughter. Um, oh, that's amazing. Uh, we're, we're writing a children's book together. Aww. Uh, he's writing the words and I'm illustrating it. And it's actually kind of about, uh, a way to talk to young children about trusting themselves and to understand that their many feelings all serve a purpose, even the ones that can be kind of scary. Mm. That's awesome. That's cool. You'll have to let us know whenever. Yeah, we'll Instagram it, yeah, it out. And share it. Yeah, with. I will. We'll share it with our three listeners. <laughs> it's like 30, <laughs> but someone in Singapore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, no, that's, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad that you all have reconnected and you have all of that going on. So, yeah, it's been really great. Um, one like little gift of the documentary was just kind of getting that conversation started and, you know, Santos came out because of the documentary and things that were happening. So we're all really grateful about that. And um, not too long ago, uh, Dan hosted like an online game night and Santos gave me, Max and Dan all played uh, online games, which were so dorky and so <laughs> far out of my uh, comfort zone. But I did it for them and it was like old times and it was just so oh, great. Awesome. It was so amazing to see Santos smiling again and hear their laughs. And it just really brought me back to like the good good times and oh my i'm really grateful for that that warms my heart because that documentary was really hard right and um, that family my heart was broken for santa's whole family like yeah. their parents lost all three of their kids at one point i know dipshit yeah 
horrible. I was enraged by that when I learned in the article the extent that he had damaged that family, especially yeah. because Santos, I haven't had a chance to say this, but Santos was literally the sweetest person you could ever meet. And mm-hmm. the idea of anybody doing something even like a little bit not nice to him is unbearable. So the the family, it, it that was, and this, there was a time where me and Max thought Santos was dead. Okay. Just because of what we were seeing online and putting together, we were like, there's no way he's survived this because he's not in these pictures. Now this is like this. He hasn't been active on Facebook. Like, at least we can see that Claudia is alive and she's yeah. posting and there's activity. Like, he just dropped off. And then there was all this stuff on the website about how Santos was a traitor and he had done this. And I was like, mm. what did they do to him? Yeah. Um. So the relief that he was okay and then the double relief that he got out was just a blessing. Yeah, that all of them got out. I mean, there's so much yes. shame and guilt that they carry afterwards, you yeah. know, and, and it's hard. It's so difficult when you experience something like that. And then just the, you blame yourself. So then you don't want to have to go mm-hmm. face the people that may have gotten hurt or affected by it. And it's just so hard to like come out from under that. And then be able to say, like, I survived. But it's amazing to hear that he's getting back into some of, you know, the old things that he used to enjoy. It's like you guys all um, survived a war together. Yeah. You know, like, that's the kind of trauma bonding that's been going on Mm -hmm. in this group of people. So Mm -hmm. it's so, it makes me happy that you're all, well, not all of you, but that you're reconnecting and it's Mm -hmm. becoming more positive. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, it's going to yeah. have long-lasting effects, but, you know, that everybody's getting help and is able to start to, I guess, see the heal. light. Yeah, heal. Yeah. Mm-hmm, recover. Well, something that Claudia said to me on our one long conversation was, like, just the realization that people still cared about her after she had, in her mind, kind of betrayed them by going with Larry and you know, her and I had that big falling out. The fact that I still was like, you know, you're in a cult. Like, don't like, are like trying to like convince her on the booze cruise to come with me. Yeah. Um, she said like, even at the time she didn't, she didn't obviously listen to me, but that idea that like, Oh, Raven still cares about me. Even mm-hmm. after all of this was like one of the things that she like had in her mind when she did decide to leave. And I think that's so important to like know is like you don't have to do everything right. But it's like if you just make sure that the people who are in that situation are aware, like I'm still with you, like yeah. I'm still for you, like you're still safe with me even after all of this. Because I think what happens sometimes is people say, well, F you too, like, bye. Yeah. And then that just gets the victim even deeper into the control and even Mm -hmm. deeper into like, this is my only safe space. But just to know that there's people waiting for you on the other side, if you're able and willing to make that step, I think makes all the difference. For sure. And I'm sure he was saying like, they don't want you. They're not your real friend, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So anything you can do to like, deprogram them somehow just so fucking weird i oh my god i don't know yeah i mean yeah i'm glad i'm glad that you know she's able to reach out to you and then you 
you all can have those conversations. So if you talk to them, which I know you probably will, let them know, you know, like we support them here on the right. podcast. They have a lot of support. Yeah, there's people out there. Don't <laughs> tell mm-hmm. them not to listen to that stupid chatter on social media because, you know, people are always going to share dumb comments that they have because they really have no insight into what somebody is, has experienced. So, um, but mm-hmm. yeah, there's people out there uh, rooting, for you. rooting for every single person that was involved in this situation. Except Larry. Yeah, Larry can mm-hmm. rot in prison. <laughs> God dang. For real. So, except for him, yeah, everybody else we definitely are rooting for. You know, we're hoping that they have a strong um, road to recovery and continue to seek out support and lean on friends that um, truly care and have their best interests in mind. So, um, like you. Yeah. And I hope that, you know, by having these, oh, thanks. But I, I do hope that, like, by having these conversations, you know, maybe people will have the opportunity to, you know, if they find themselves in a similar situation, remember that they are also loved and that there's people rooting for them. And, um, you know, I think that this is such a success story of coming out the other side. Yeah, and yeah, sure. I know that it's so common to get into these type of situations on all different scales, not some similar to this and some much smaller but just to know that like trusting your instincts and leaning on the people who you trust and who love you is is okay to do and it's always safe to come back you don't have to feel like you're trapped now you've made a mistake and you're locked in you can always come back Mm -hmm. you can always come back for sure well i think in like in your from your stance too is like if you see something like that happening or, you know, you know, something's wrong, like, don't give up, just keep fighting for them. Mm -hmm. Because eventually, like, they will be able to come out the other side and and you'll still be there waiting for them. So I think that's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, well, Raven, do you have anything else you would like to add? That was awesome, (laughs) by the way. Yeah, totally. Um, I just said thank you for the opportunity to like come out and talk about it and um, I just hope if anyone out there is listening who feels like you know there's something in their gut that just doesn't settle right that maybe take this as a sign to to listen to those instincts yes and speak up that's what we always and we always say ask questions yeah don't Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Stop like one thing that was what were you gonna at say? the in the and sorry, uh, in the documentary, they cut this part out because I asked them to because I got a little emotional. But they were like, well, what do you wish you could have done differently? Like, what do you think there's anything you could have done differently that could have made the situation better? And I got emotional. I said, you know, of course, I hate those questions. It wasn't like. It wasn't my job to do something differently, right? Mm-hmm. I was a kid. It was exactly. my job to go to school. Why it was my job to get Sarah good grades. Yeah. You know, and I think that I had a lot of guilt for a long time. I think that's why I had that response. Like, I wish I had said more. I wish I had done more. I wish I had let ring the alarm louder. I wish I would have been kinder to them. So maybe they didn't felt so pushed towards Larry. Um, and it's it's kind of like survivor's guilt, huh? 
Yeah. Right. Yes, that's exactly the right word for it. A lot of survivor's guilt and a lot of I would have, should have, could have. Right. But at the end of the day, uh, the only people to blame for this kind of injustice and pain is the people who perpetrated it. And Mm -hmm. like you said, as long as you're doing the best you can, asking questions, questioning things, um, staying true to what you believe is right, then that's all you can do. And the cards will fall how they fall. Yeah. 100%. Well said. I like that. I I think it's good also to point out like what you said originally about if a grown up is like overly invested in you there. Why? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's weird. Why? There's always a reason. Yeah. Yeah. What do they want? Yeah. Because yeah, I'm totally on board with that statement. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What do you want, you weirdo? Yeah, exactly. That's it. I'm going to coach my daughter to say word for word. I can't wait. Will you make a TikTok or something? Oh, my gosh. What do you want, weirdo? (laughs) Um, All right. Well, before we end the interview, um, I want you, because you have an amazing art gallery out there, um, I want you to plug that so that we can get a little bit of foot traffic going over there. And um, yeah, I am currently a artist and presenter and teacher in Seattle. And awesome. um, my website is ravenwarezart.com, uh, R-A-V-E-N-J-U-A-R-E-Z.com. Did I say Raven Juarez Art? It's just ravenwarez.com. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting ready oh to God. ask to clarify, but you you did it on no, your own. No, it's ravenwarez.com. Um, but I do have an I do have a TikTok that's Raven Juarez Art. Oh so my God, I'm totally gonna. Oh, cool. I love TikTok. Yes. I'm totally gonna find you. Patty's a TikTok. I person. actually have posted like a few things about stolen youth, just because I was like seeing a lot of online discourse, and I was like, I feel like I want to like make it. I don't know. I was just like, I feel like I want to have somewhere for people to like see my point of view on stuff because there was a lot of people like guessing about things. And I just was like, I'm going to put a few things out there and I'm still working up the courage to say like the most, but some stuff's there. Yeah. You should definitely like speak your mind on it. Um, Cause I think that that's the only way, you know, it's not fully my story. Yes. Definitely. I just am a, a watcher of how it all went down. Mm-hmm. I think though, that's how people have conversations and get educated or get a better understanding on things too, though, is when you do speak up and you say something, you know, rather than them yeah. being stuck in their own little sphere. So, um, well, thanks Raven. We really appreciate your time, um, you know, doing this interview with us and speaking on stolen youth, you know, and, and your experience with what happened at Sarah Lawrence. So thank getting you so all much. this like out into the open for people so that, you know, nothing's better than shining light on something. Mm-hmm. And again, mm-hmm. well, I still you know, think the you're badass. Was so. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> 100%. I concur. <laughs> it's great to meet you guys. You made a really like hard, um, tricky conversation feel really easy and relaxed. So I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we, ch- no, we strive here. It's like coffee talk, really. <laughs> <laughs> I should have had a glass of wine. Yeah, <laughs> really we all should have. <laughs> <laughs>
It might have gone a totally different direction if we were drinking them. So it's probably better. Definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Um, and maybe we'll catch you on another episode with some insight from Raven. Yep. Thanks, Raven. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. She seems so nice. Yeah, Raven was awesome. I like her. Really appreciate her coming on to talk about what happened while she was there at Sarah Lawrence and then give a little bit more insight, Yeah, you know, about what she experienced from her point of view. So... Yeah, because, I mean, when you're watching these documentaries, you're just like, doo-doo, you don't really know. No. And it's all, like, what they're wanting you to know. Exactly. <clears throat> so yeah. So it was good to have an inside view. And then we're, like, armchair quarterback. <laughs> and, of course, we know everything. Yes. So. <laughs> well, I would do this. Yeah, we think we know. And then. And then. But what we really would do is nothing. Yes. <laughs> we'd be like this guy's a weirdo yeah so like let's tie everything up a little bit because i wanted to i know the end thanks everybody bye (laughs) no let's make sure it's really a downer and sad ready go (laughs) yeah i actually wanted to so of course a lot of this episode has talked about course of control you know i think we need to educate people more about that because it and like we talked about but you know what I think we need to educate from childhood up. Oh, 100%. We don't. No, not at all. Because like we had talked We're about during the interview. We're stranger danger and bullshit like well, that. Well, and then like, obviously it's good to respect people and, you know what I mean? Right. And be kind. But also at the same time, you know, that sets us up for those Victimhood. incidents. Yeah, where we run across somebody who's nefarious or insidious and probably has some something bad in mind. Ill intent. Yes. So I think it's important to have these conversations and actually talk about, you know, yeah, you can fall victim to this. Anybody can. Mm-hmm. I can. You can. Well, I, Patty probably, I don't know, super ha- hero no, dude, cape. everybody. <laughs> Like we talked about, it's degrees. It, it is degrees. And having said that, I want to recircle the wagons here, remind everybody. <laughs> I think you mean circle back. Whatever. But go ahead. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I would also like to point out that my husband made fun of me when I said Wichita, Kansas, Wichita and Kansas. And then you were like, I think Wichita is in Kansas. <laughs> I'm no uh, geography major, <laughs> but he was like, that was like one of the funniest parts of that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, what you said a minute ago, I would like to say that what happened, like what Larry did to these individuals happened over a period of years. Right. So, and we talked about this a little bit in the first episode was how like somebody can do something like this in a matter of hours and cause somebody to like falsely confess to something. Mm -hmm. Right. So. The fragile mind. Yes. You know, when you go about applying pressure and then almost reshaping somebody's reality or causing them to question themselves you know that's when you start to see people going along with something that they normally wouldn't do uh-huh. and i have brought up previously like the whole autozone case because i think it's important that was just like 
an employee theft. And you can find this out there. It's it's there for you to look at because AutoZone actually got sued as a result of what happened to this person. But they were accused of stealing money, $800 and some change. Part of their duties were to help load up the armored truck. What ended up happening was an envelope fell in the truck like hidden from view. So when they got it into the bank and they counted the money, it was short. It was short. And so the last person oh, to touch the money was, was this employee. And they brought in like this asset protection person, staff member, or loss prevention, whatever their title was, uh, to question this employee. And they did it at work in an office in the back and questioned them for several hours. And then also said that they got them on videotape, which wasn't true. They didn't have any recording of this employee doing that act. Uh-huh. However, though, they just wanted the employee that was being accused wanted it to stop. Right. And they also told the employee, well, if you just tell us that you did it, you know, nothing bad's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. You'll keep your job, et cetera. So the person actually confessed to doing this incident that never even happened because they later found the money in the truck. So like, my bad. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that. Why did you confess, though? That's weird. One day. Right. Over several hours. Exactly. You know, so I just think it's important for us to actually look at it. I mean, look at how much they confess to poisoning people. Yes. uh, Damaging property they never damaged, like, in the hundreds of thousands. That might not even been in that apartment. I mean, crazy. Yeah. Shit. Mm -hmm. Or that they knew, like, the people that Larry knew that were after him or whatever he was telling them. Right. So. Yeah, that they had been set up. Yeah. So I think it's important to actually have those conversations like that can happen on a single day. Look at what they endured for like years. Years, Right. So uh, I think for people to get on social media and, you know, either poke shame. Yep. Victim shame, poke fun at them or say like, right. Yeah. You guys got to stop that. We do not condone that in any way. Nope. Um, Because you know what? That could fucking be you someday, asshole. So you don't know. Yeah. You don't know what you would do. Yeah. Especially like if you found Why yourself can't in that you situation. Just, like give people grace. Jesus. Yeah. Christmas. We're kind of individualistic, right? We're all totally. stuck in our own little bubbles. Right that would never happen to me. <laughs> I know. I do that too. I watch these shows and I'm like, I don't get it. Because it's never happened to me, that's why. And I watch these shows and I'm like, fuck, that could be me right <laughs> fucking now. You little sheep. <laughs> You're just a little innocent lamb. Oh, my God. And I'm like the grumpy old wolf. Like, I don't believe a word <laughs> you say. <laughs> I guess it's good to be cynical, right, everyone? It is. It, it is. Keeps you out of tr- sure, you don't have many friends, but that's okay. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay, so let's wrap this up and talk about Larry and his charges. Good Um, riddance. Yeah, Larry. I hope you rot in fucking prison. I hope you're in solitary because you can't be around other people. He's like a total ringleader. Yeah, he's um, dangerous to society, to others, probably in that prison. Yeah, because he likes to play people against each other. Yes. So uh, Larry 
has been sentenced to 60 years behind bars. He went to trial April 2022, and his conviction includes 15 counts of racketeering, forced labor, violent assault, sex trafficking, tax evasion, and money laundering. Because I want to point out... Sounds like a peach. ...that he was trafficking Claudia during this whole thing. And And can we just say that video of her, she seemed like... That's like a video you would see of, like, someone being detained, like, in a war. Yes. Yeah. Like a prisoner of war. Yeah, my heart was breaking watching it. That was brutal. Any of the video clips that they showed of the kids going through this, I just... It was hard to watch it. Dude, I think I would have had to try to kill that guy if that was my kid. (sighs) Yeah. I don't know what I would do, but I might be in prison after. Right? (laughs) If this was one of my kids. I don't know. But Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. You're good. During his trial, apparently, which lasted four weeks. Weeks? Yeah, four weeks. He, I guess, had a number of- He pled not guilty, I'm guessing. He he had a number of medical issues during the trial, whatever those were. I don't know. I didn't bother to look him up. I really don't give a shit. Good. I hope he has a lot of medical <laughs> issues. <laughs> so, <in> scurvy, a- <laughs> rickets, <laughs> shingles. I curse you, Larry. <laughs> Death by poison. Visine, anyone? I don't know. So, in addition to his prison term, which was interesting to me, because he's he was sentenced also to a lifetime of supervised release. So, I guess if for whatever reason he gets, if he out, gets out, he's still he'll still have to be on supervision and for the rest of his life. So Well, um, with all those health issues, he probably should be in there, right? <laughs> <laughs> so he was also ordered to forfeit, it looks like two million four hundred forty-four thousand dollars. The proceeds from the sale of his GoDaddy portfolio. I guess he had some sort of account or something on there. Was that the money that he got from Claudia? I don't know. They didn't really clarify. I know. Uh, Actually, should go back to pay all of like divided up amongst all of them, and and she's the one that escorted all that money. Oh man, yeah. And then I guess that Pinehurst, North Carolina residence, you know, where the forced labor took place. Stepfathers. Yeah, I guess that will be rolled up into that too, into what the government um uh, claws back from him. And then uh, restitution, I guess, was going to be decided by the court. As part of his sentencing. Uh, interesting in this story is, of course, Ray's co-defendant, Isabella, uh, or better known as Izzy. So she was uh, sentenced basically to 54 months in federal prison. I actually don't agree with this. Yeah. I hate the fact that this happened to her. Yeah. Because I view... She's like victimized twice. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, Izzy was also targeted by Larry and then... Yeah, first one. Oh, yeah, she was physically abused, you know, sexually abused by Larry. Uh, You know, there was a lot of stuff that happened to her, too, during this whole ordeal. And I know that they were trying to get her to testify against him. And I I believe that they were trying to use that as a way to motivate her to do so. But I think that that was the wrong thing to do because... She's already a victim, and it sounded like she had been traumatized before this even happened. And so now I'm like, now you sent her to prison. And That'll probably help. You're reinforcing that 
she did something wrong when she's probably already going to carry that with her. Yeah. So I totally was against that. Yeah, I hated that that happened to her. She was indicted in January 2021. If you saw the documentary, then you probably saw how much she was brainwashed into thinking that Larry was going to eventually get out and they were going to be together again. You know, she was convinced all the way up until the very end during her sentencing. She did read a letter. Right. Saying she was sorry. Yeah. I mean, since then, she's worked with mental health counselors to try to separate herself from Ray and then some of the shared delusions that they had and to break away from his control. But she basically said, I am truly ashamed of my conduct and the pain I caused others, which she's basically carrying the some of the burden of this, which to me is wrong. But I know I committed serious crimes and I fully accept responsibility for my actions. Lawrence's hold over me changed who I was, and it continues to be a healing process. Yeah, I bet. End quote. And uh, Claudia actually submitted a letter asking the judge for leniency, and she did not blame Izzy for participating in the torture or for forcing her into prostitution. So for her part, she said, and I quote, I do not believe she had any true capacity to stop Larry or mitigate what he was doing to me in any way, psychologically or physically. I don't believe she had an honest choice or much of any choice. Yeah, so, I agree. End quote. And that's just from watching a documentary. I wasn't there, obviously. Yeah, but just having seen what had happened. I mean, they show recordings of her getting beaten and physically abused by him. So right. I'm like, I just, I thought that that was the wrong decision on the prosecutor's part. So that's where I stand on it. Same. And I don't think she should be in prison right now. I concur. But that's how I feel. Assessment. So yeah, that concludes our... See you guys? It did end on a downer, I told you. Review? <laughs> <laughs> if only I knew a dad joke to tell. But I, I, I know. I didn't think about looking one Alas. up either. Sorry about that. I should have. <laughs> I thought about trying to say something uplifting at the end of this and could not come up with anything. So right. there you have it. All right. Yeah. Thanks for stopping There's by. another happy documentary. <laughs> Put that in your pocket. But what I will say is if you learned anything from this podcast about what these individuals went through or course of control, please share that with your friends or your family. Um, probably or not. Look into it. Yeah. Educate yourself. I think it's important. But part of us doing this is also to, to educate our listeners. All three of you, thank you for stopping by. It's like 30. Okay, quit <laughs> And they're not even our friends. I actually think it's more than 30 now. I think we're like closer to 50. My God. But Look at us. I know. We're breaking through. We are. Worldwide. Prestige <laughs> worldwide. Singapore. <laughs> Singapore. <laughs> All right. Well, we will see you on the next episode. Thank you for coming. Stay dirty, benches. Patty. Uh, happy Mother's Day. Oh, good one. Although this will come out after Mother's Day. Still. Mother's Day. Correct. Ladies. Yes. 100% Mothers agree. out there. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Peace. Word to your mother. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye.